So I'm in London. Austin is back in LA. My dad, Erwin. Okay, and you were just in Nashville a couple of days ago, weren't you? Yeah, I was. Uh, an incredible then, meeting at Donald Miller's farm with like 25 of the top um, authors in the United States, all these New York Times bestsellers, and uh, just talking about how to help each other and uh, how to get the message out when you write a book. And and uh, it was a really incredible time. I loved it. That's amazing. That's really incredible. You had some phenomenal people at that at that space. Was it like a retreat? My, my, my highlight? My highlight was when I, when I met Will Gardo, uh, who wrote from Eleven Madison, Eleven Madison Park. Eleven Madison Park wrote Unreasonable Hospitality. The moment he said wow. that, I just um, became a fanboy. Going, I cannot believe that I'm in the same room. And his wife, of course, um, owns Milk Bar. Well, I talk about creative genius in that home. I can't even imagine what dinner's like there. I I cannot. They're having a lot of dessert. That's all I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of dessert happening. There's a lot of dessert there. Okay, so are we allowed to talk about the thing that we're not supposed to talk about, me and you, about where we're going in a couple of weeks? The phone oh. call that I got from a certain friend? I think we have to wait till after we go. <sighs> well, we don't have to give the details, but we can say it. yes. Well, let's, 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 set, let's paint the picture. Let's set the stage. Okay. Let's give a little bit of a teaser into what. So, you know, I got I got to London. This is day two. I'm letting friends, a few people. I think, honestly, I used to have a ton of friends here. I have maybe two people, one, maybe two or three people that I know. I was really, really lucky and, and got introduced to this amazing couple who he has a really special job um, working on incredible Christopher, Christopher Nolan movies, films. Mm. A really high level and that was just wonderful we watched Wimbledon together but a few days before that before I got introduced and, and we we um, had a Sunday roast I was in a car on the way to a dinner and I get a text I get a missed call from one of your good friends and mm-hmm. it said and then he texts me like immediately and he, he almost never calls if he calls I always answer mm-hmm. and I was just like oh, I'm in the kind of in transition I'm lost I'm jet lagged and he says like call me back Oh uh, yeah, of course. So with one within one second, I I call him, hey man, everything okay? And he's like this whole long drawn out thing, and and basically, there's a secret mission to a secret place, on a secret plane, on a secret date, that I can't reveal until the middle of August. Well, I think we can reveal where we're going. Can I say the name? Yes, tell them where we're going. <clears throat> no, no, we're going to dinner. <sighs> not, not a big thing. We're just going to dinner. It's a big thing. It's a big thing. Well, tell them. Don't okay. leave everybody hanging. Oh, I didn't know if you if I was allowed to say. You can say where we're going. Yes. Oh, we're going to Noma. In Copenhagen. We're going to Noma in Copenhagen with Chef Rene Redzepi. And when are the they closing down the restaurant? I guess they're closing uh, the beginning of 2024. So at the end of 2023. So this is like one of the last seasons where you can eat at this number one restaurant, three Michelin star restaurant. And it has been a dream. I read this phenomenal book called Hungry. It's actually one of my favorite books. I, in the last 10 years or last five years, two books have really been life-changing. Shoe Dog by Phil Knight was phenomenal. It was just, it's a great, great American story. And 
this book, Hungry by Jeff Gordon, who was the New York Times food editor. But basically, this book called Hungry uh, is phenomenal. Written by Jeff Gordon, he's going through this crazy season of life, this divorce. In the beginning of this book, something kind of happens, and he gets asked by Chef Rizepi to follow him around for a year or two years uh, and document the life of what it looks like at Noma. And it's just this phenomenal thing. I've been kind of this, you know, micro super fan the last few years since reading that book. It's always been a dream. Um, haven't been able to make it. The last time we were in Copenhagen, we couldn't do it. We didn't have time. We we're there for two days or a day. So I'm excited. Are you excited? I am. When I got the call, I thought, oh my goodness. Uh, how do, first of all, how do I tell my wife, Kim, your mom, that yeah. I'm flying across the world to have dinner? I mean, it's, yeah. it's uh, not an easy um, explanation. And when, when, when she doesn't realize that there is an, there's an intersection of awesome here. One, it's, yeah. it is the number one restaurant in the world. And two, it's going to cease to exist. So if you never had that experience, you will never have it. And I, I love those kinds of opportunities in life where you get to be a part of something that a part of its value is that it's no longer accessible yeah, to what? anyone in the world. And that's a beautiful thing. It's kind of sick, though. It's a little sick. It's a little dark. <laughs> what makes it great is that no one else can get there anymore. <laughs> well, you can't even get there anymore. So if you don't choose to go there, you've lost the opportunity. You've missed the opportunity. And I think that life is so filled of this kind of intersection where you get an opportunity. And if you don't step into it, oh, it's too inconvenient. It's too hard. It's too this or that. You missed it and you never get it back. And and I, I think people who live with regret are the ones who simply do not go through that window of opportunity when it was there. They think, oh, it'll it'll come back to me or I'll, I'll do it later or, or I'll, it'll be a different season of my life where I can step into this. And I want you to know that those windows do not stay open permanently. And the people who live aspirational lives, they just find a way to make things happen. They just find a way to get you get through that that wall or go through that window and so it was just one of the situations and my schedule is so busy i'm in five different countries i think it is in in about two weeks which is insane for me maybe six and 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 then traveling across the united states to salt lake to dallas to Asheville, to los angeles you know and that's just into chicago all in the united states and, uh, yeah. you know, and so it, not to mention Mexico and Costa Rica and London and Copenhagen and um, and wherever else I may end up finding myself. And and so it had been so easy for me to say no. And uh, but I'm just working it out because uh, it, I, it's it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I have to tell you, when I told your sister that we were oh, going she, to <laughs> Copenhagen, she, she looked at me and she goes, are you just. Are you trying to make me feel envious? Are you, you know, do you expect me to be happy for? <laughs> no, that's and that's going to be expensive for you later. So I didn't mention <laughs> that anyone but me was going with me at that moment, and think it would be helpful. Oh, you haven't told her I'm going. <laughs> no. She's going to find out from this. Well, I don't uh, think she listens to our podcast. <laughs> she definitely doesn't. She, no, no, no. The women so in our, the women in our. The women in our family do not listen to this podcast. It makes them anxious, but I'm very excited. But, I'm very excited. But I, I, this comes to this. This connects to something we were talking about before. Because before we, before we began today's episode, 
I, I said, you know, one of the things I'd love to talk about is how to make your own luck. Or why is it that some people are luckier than other people? And, you know, whenever you hear interviews with highly successful people, they usually attribute a part of their success to luck. And it just seems like things just work in their favor or things just kind of came together. And, and you do think that there is, in some sense, even um, on, on, when you look at the big picture, like if Bill Gates or Steve Jobs had not been born in the United States, if they had not had access to computers um, early on before most of the world had never seen a computer, they would have not become who they were. And so there's a sense where there's almost like, um, you know, genetic luck. There's, you know, um, legacy luck. There is like environmental luck. You just, you yeah. know, the fact that you ac had access to something you were six that no one else in the world had, it, it, it you know, in that sense, you go, oh, well, you're lucky. And of course, like, you know, I believe in, in God and I, you know, I'm, I believe in Jesus and I believe God is, you know, uh, dynamically involved in our lives. And so a lot of times we'd say, well, no, that's not luck. That's actually God. You know, if you want to look at it, it's like God's favor on your life or, or just God's goodness. But there's also this dynamic where you do make your own luck in life as well. And that there are people who seem to be positioned for everything good to intersect with their lives. And, uh, and you know, and, and other people, they just feel like, oh, my gosh, can that person handle one more piece of bad luck in their life? And, yeah. and, I, and I think a part of the reason of that is that there are choices you make in life that actually leverage the game in your favor. That leverage life in your favor. It's like being able to have cards up your sleeve that you can, you know, change your hand at the end when everyone, you know, calls it in. And some of it is um, our luck is so connected to the people that we've loved and invested in and cared about and been there for. And one of the best pieces of, of advice that, you know, I think a person could ever hear is, Make friends before you need them. This is a conversation I have with your mom a lot because, you know, she's working on such huge projects around the world and, and really needs people to step up and give a lot of money. And, and, uh, and she hates fundraising, as I think any insane person does. But uh, one of the things I told her, I said, hey, you can't connect to people when you need money. You know, you have to connect to people when they need you. The most dangerous place in Los Angeles for me is walking through your kitchen. <laughs> When she's working on a project, <laughs> it's like the shakedown. It's like getting bullied. Yeah, but she she's has invested force. in your life. She's, a, she's invested in your life enough to ask. She's a force of nature. <laughs> but that woman, Mary McManus, how much are you going to give to Af to to my to my school in Africa this week? I I wasn't. I that when I woke up today, that's not what I was thinking about. When I came well, in to say hi, yeah. that wasn't what I was thinking about. But the point of it to me is like, you know, the reason we suddenly got invited to Copenhagen, the reason we suddenly got this unexpected opportunity, the reason we suddenly had a dream come true. See, I would put that in that category. You know, this experience, this opportunity is a dream come true. Now, it's not if you're not a foodie. You may never even heard of the restaurant. You may think it's ridiculous. Like, you're going to hate it. Copenhagen. You don't uh, like tasting menus. You're going to hate it. It's a two oh, and a half hour it. process. Well, you're yeah. gonna love it and be like, "Can I get a steak? <laughs> Can I get a cheeseburger later? Yeah, it's okay. Can I get a burger I'll, afterwards? I'll go afterwards and, and get some, you know, food from, from a stand on the street. That's okay. 
But yeah. the reason this happened is because we have a genuine friendship with someone who right. actually could make it happen, spent the last four months trying to make it happen, and then only calling us when he did make it happen. And, right. you know, I would say one of the wonderful things about being in this stage of my life, I turn 65 next month, is that most of my life, I've been the guy on the other side of this. I've been the guy making it happen for other people. I've been the friend that when people were a friend, I just wanted to show up for. And I wanted to make their dreams a reality. And I wanted to open up opportunities and possibilities for them. And now, finally, all these decades later, there are people in my life who are there for me in that same way. And and it's it, it, I'm the luckiest man in the world. I'm telling you, I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I you really are. Have- it's annoying. It's really actually frustrating. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about this before I left. I'm, I'm actually afraid of people who go against you. Like people who betray you. The last two people died. I had nothing to do with that. They had nothing to do with it. But like, like literally, like one, I think one of cancer, one of a heart attack, like just crazy events in life and it does it does feel like you've always been protected you've always had these miracles or these situations the like the universe really universe like the universe and god and everything always just feels like it's swimming your way um and protecting you and keeping you safe and also just bringing the most beautiful things and it's kind of crazy because it's like in the midst of a hard week of a transition to a new city into a new place i this is where i benefit from this is someone I love. This is someone I love spending time with, who we yeah. talk. He's your good friend, but I stay connected with him. And he calls me and goes, heard you're in London. I'm like, I am. And I was like, are you coming? And he's like, nah. <laughs> like, Did you come to visit me? He's like, nah. Uh, you want to go well, to dinner? Now. <laughs> <laughs> and it was one of those just beautiful moments. And 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 I, I th- we talked about this off the screen because you were in Nashville and we're actually doing this, you know, we were having all these amazing projects happen. And, and you know, someone asked me the other, the, the other week, like, what is it that you do? And me and you sat down before I left, we're, we're in the car on the way to the airport. And you were like, and I asked you, I was like, if you were to explain it the best, what is it that I do? <laughs> <laughs> and, and because we do so many different things and so many unique things that that I, I have the gift of producing a graphic novel, of, of being, uh, producing events with you, of building uh, personality assessments to helping you know, uh, build content around your world. I tell people I turn ideas into money. <laughs> Erwin's ideas, but I turn them into money. <laughs> no, you know, it's funny. I was here, um, here in Salt Lake. I'm on the board of a, a company called Give. And... Uh, there's two sides of this company. It's a compassion-based company that focuses on providing healthcare providers for families with uh, children with disabilities, and also um, um, on the board of this tech company that creates the uh, the software, the technology to make this possible for um, hospitals and companies all over the uh, the country. And we were all talking, and this one of the board members in the middle thing goes who are you, you know, and how can you do this? And, and cause I'm restructuring things and helping them solve some problems and, you know, building a more elegant way of communicating their vision. 
And as we were talking, I said, hey, have you seen the, um, the series called Drops of, of God? And they had uh, not. And, what an and amazing I, show. I just finished it. Because they're they asking me about um, you and Mariah and parenting. And, uh, and I said, well, if you watch that show, it'll help you understand a little bit about who Aaron is. And I said, because whether I meant to or not, I raised my son to be a Somalia. From the age of three, I had him meetings all over the world where I was doing strategic development and leadership, organizational science. And, you know, I, I'd be in rooms helping problem solve. And, and he'd be five years old sitting there for three hours, just quietly listening to everything. And by the time, you know, you were six years old, you're, Dad, can I tell you who in the room has uh, the ability to make it? Who in the room isn't going to actually execute it? And he would, Aaron would go through and start analyzing and I would tell him where he was right and where he maybe missed something. And, and whether I realized it or not, I was, I, I, I put Aaron in the same environment as this, uh, this connoisseur of wine put his daughter in. And I thought, well, maybe that explains yeah. Aaron's dysfunction. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was maybe not always healthy. I do remember growing no. up going, if you were the parent that had to take us to the field trip, Mm-hmm. You know, like they would have, you know, one parent would have to take you to the field trip. Yeah. At least in the school I was in, if it was you, I knew we weren't actually going to the field trip. <laughs> and like we're at, we're gonna end up in a board in like in, in a meeting or a consulting session or like in a boardroom. And you know, you take me to. I remember vividly, you took me to the zoo, Los Angeles Zoo, and we stayed for about one hour. And you were like, "Buddy, I'm gi- I'm gonna give your best friend to one of the other groups, and I'm gonna take you with me." And I think you said something like, do you want to go to Disneyland? And I was like, or Disney. I think you used your words wisely. And I was like, oh, yeah. And you're like, okay. And you took me to the freaking corporate headquarters (laughs) in Burbank. (laughs) And you were like, buddy, you have two options. You can either hang with the interns or you can sit in the corner in the room and you can write all these notes down and tell me what you think about everything afterwards. And I was actually telling this story today because it's it's a unique set of skills, I think, that I learned when I was younger. But there are rooms that I cannot walk into without massive um, – I feel massive pressure and anxiety, not even for myself, but for the emotional weight in the room. That mm. I, Whether I know what's going on or I can feel what's going on, but I can I – can, it's like this high level of intuition that I really connected with the character in that show – um, that she she almost it's like she almost has like synesthesia with mm-hmm. with wine where she hears music or sees color or you know is able to like categorize things in her brain, but I'm able to do that with like human emotion and people and like some people call that an empath and I don't think it's that I think it's like micro expression mm-hmm. training like I think you were you were able to teach me how to watch mannerisms and the way people move and the way people the progress and then be able to like come out the other side with outcomes or potential outcomes that this person might end up in. And that's a really tough thing. Like today I was just grossly overwhelmed leaving a workout class because I knew stuff was going on. I could tell something was going on and I walked away being like, wow, I feel so stressed for that person, for the situation, for the people in the room. I don't know exactly what's happening. And that's a hard thing to be hyper aware, to be hyper vigilant as a child and then now as an adult. But it, it really ends up becoming the, the kind of the, the core foundation and crux of what we do. We read people. Yeah, you and that's right. I read people. Well, uh, it, it's, I was explaining to them because they were asking me in the board meeting yesterday after four hours, how did you learn how to think like this? And I said, 
oh, it was my grandfather who at the age of three was teaching me, making me play chess and teaching me about continental drift and, you know, international migration patterns. And, and, uh, and at three, you know, he didn't let me go play with the other children. He taught me how to think. And, uh, and it was, you know, maybe it wasn't like the, the best approach to her childhood, but he, he put me in the same Somalia kind of environment. My grandfather raised me to be a thought sommelier. And whether I realized it or not, I raised you and Mariah really to be sommeliers yourselves. And, and that's what we do, though. I think, I think what's really helpful is that most people are so busy and they're so overwhelmed and life can come at you so fast that you don't have time to process why you are not, not why you're doing what you're doing, but why you're becoming who you're becoming. And, and so self-awareness so oftentimes is, it feels like putting your head into a, a fire hydrant because you're just overwhelmed by emotions and decisions and choices and environments and all your inner thoughts and, and over all your overthinking. And it's so helpful to have someone who can actually just look inside of your soul, break it down and go, this is where it matters. And this is what you need to tweak to find mental health. This is what you need to tweak to, to hit optimal performance. This is what you need to shift to uh, find fulfillment in your life. You know, I was on a walk on Sunday and I was walking through the neighborhood and I, I, I like came across this beautiful park and kind of this cool little neighborhood with great architecture and these cool cars and everything was kind of parked outside. And, and I looked up and there was just this big uh, window that had this beautiful quote written inside of it. And I posted it early in the week, but it was from Albert Einstein. It said, education is not just the learning of facts, but the training of the mind to think. And I thought, what a wonderful quote for the things that were basically that, that we do, but also that we're embarking on with this new community that we're building and launching August 2nd that we haven't talked about yet. And this uh, conference that we're uh, producing and building and, and launching in October. And I just, I thought it was so important, but that it's not just about the facts, but it's actually training the mind to think, the, the ability, the, the muscle. And, you know, this year has been a year of many firsts. Um, and even tennis, like me and you hit the tennis ball around in Mexico, but you know, I actually went in and learned the functional form of tennis and I was like, oh wow, I'm really doing everything wrong. And then I, I, I just hit this moment where I'm like, these little kids are literally over here in day camp and they're smacking this ball and they're laughing and they're rolling around and they're doing, and I'm struggling. And I just thought to myself, I'm like, okay, no. It's the process of learning how to play tennis that's the most important thing here. You can never forget how to learn things. And that not just the form is so important, but like you, my ability to adapt to this new situation is so important. So figure it out. Look, I just told myself, you look stupid. You look stupid. You're naked. You're naked and stupid. And that's fine. And then you're going to figure it out. And then by the end of it, we're, we're rallying the entire time. And I'm just watching these little kids learn, looking at these pros play, and then looking at the coach who's teaching me and just hitting back and forth with them going, okay, do everything in your willpower to learn as quickly as you can and adapt to the situation. And I think it's so important for us to never lose that. Yeah, I love that. You know, when I learned how to play tennis from a tennis pro years ago, he'd always say to me, trust the technique, trust the technique. And because I was a pretty good tennis player playing badly. Did, I did everything right. wrong. And he would tell me, look, 
you're spending 10 times the effort to get one-tenth the outcome. If mm-hmm. you'll trust the process and trust the technique and let me change your form, you'll spend one-tenth the effort and get 10 times the outcome. Wow. And I think that's true in life. It's like there are so many people who are successful. They're just working themselves into the ground because they're working 10 times harder to get one-tenth the outcome. And lucky people, back to the theme, you know, people who are lucky, they spend one-tenth of the effort to get 10 times the outcome. And it's because, in a sense, they're trusting the form. They're, they're not trying to use brute force to make life happen. There's an elegance to the way you can live your life. And when you find your, 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 your flow, when you find like that, that, that center where you're supposed to live, it feels like you're cheating rather than working. How much of your luck do you think relies on what you've learned? Oh, I don't know, percentage, maybe 90%. You're someone who never stops learning. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I, but I feel like all my future luck is in the 10% that I haven't learned. Mm. Uh, keeping my mind open, keeping myself curious, keep myself learning. Mm. And, um, you know, in fact, you know, yesterday we we're all at this dinner after the board meeting and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm older than everyone else on this board. And they're like, man, you got to keep going because you have so much to give. And my immediate thought was, I got to keep going because I have so much to learn. And, uh, and it, 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 I, I don't feel that I've hit that spot where, oh, learning is no longer necessary. Yeah. I've hit that spot in my life where I feel like, oh, my gosh, I need to accelerate my learning at a level I've never been at before. I can't even afford to learn the way I used to. I have to learn faster. I need to learn clear. I need to learn, you know, more, more powerfully now than I've ever had to. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, the data shows and so many, so many uh, different scientists talk about this and podcasters talk about the, um, the neurological brain waves, uh, the neural brain waves that stay open and pliable when you continue to stay outside of your comfort zone, when you learn new route, when you take a new route home, when you walk a new way, when you try something different, when you stay uncomfortable, your brain stays pliable. And I think even for me, I, I, the first thing I said when I landed in London was like, I got to find my routine. And of course, there's no routine because you're carving a routine out of nothing, right? And yes, like, but what okay, was the last thing you said to me before you left LA? Because I was going, you need to do this. You need to go to London. You need to, you don't worry about having an agenda. Don't worry about having a schedule. Don't worry about knowing people. And what did you say? Are you talking about hunting lions? Yes. <laughs> you said, I need to go hunt lions. I said, I need to go hunt lions. I need to go explore the world. I need to go and have adventure. Yeah, and you're and, quoting 1923. Thank you, Taylor Sheridan. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think, I, <laughs> that's the cheesy, romantic, poetic side of me. But really, it was this thought of like, I'm too young to be this locked into a routine. And if I don't go and make this world smaller, if I don't go and, and find new people and, and, and build new relationships and connect with the world that I'm living beneath my potential and living beneath, I think, what is expected of me or what I expect of myself. And, I, and it's easy for me to be very comfortable in LA to, I live a few minutes away from you. We walk to get coffee all the time. I have my workouts. I have my friends that I run with. I have you know, the guys I work with, me and Austin, 
spend so much time together every day. Like it's a, it's, I have the things that I do. I have my friends and my family and my life and my, my places. And then to be here, the slate is clean. Although I did, I did go to a class, a workout class this morning or yesterday, and they started playing a worship song at the end. And I, I, you know, oh, I like my head kind of like, it was at the end we were stretching, the lights were low. It was, it was very lovely. Um, and, and I, I was like, do you like this song? <laughs> and the teacher goes, I love this song. Do you like this song? <laughs> and I was like, I'll show you a better song. And I played, I, I played Mariah's song. This is how I thank the Lord. And it was just one of those funny moments where, you know, and they, I asked them, you know, I was like, where do you go when you're in LA? Do you, do you go to a church? And they were like, oh, we go here. And I was like, no, no, you go to Mosaic now. And then I came back today and they're like, oh, do you know this person? Do you know this person? They used to go to Mosaic and they used to give the Mosaic and they married my best friend. And I was like, oh, it's crazy how the world is so small. And it's something beautiful. It gave me anxiety. I was like, get me out of here. I'm a little, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I want to, I want a fresh start. But at the same time, it was just really comforting to go. It's beautiful that the things you build can, can go across the world. And and I don't know what hunting lions means, but I just got to do it. And I just got to yeah. figure it out, you know? And Yeah. I just, you know, all I can tell you is that, like, my life is a continuous flow of serendipity. And, you know, just meeting, meeting extraordinary people, having beautiful experiences. And, and it doesn't mean there hasn't been pain. You know, I mean, I, I was processing with this uh, doctor in Costa Rica this morning because I'm heading down there. And she looked like she was 12 years old. And I thought, wow, I'm putting my life in the hands of a child. And, uh, but uh, she assured me she was older than she looked. And I'm like, that, that has to be true. <laughs> and, uh, or, or Costa Rica is going to have malpractice issues for putting a 12-year-old, you know, in a surgical room. But, um, and I was just, she goes, okay, have you ever broken anything? And I'm like, well, yeah, let's just start time. from the head and work my way down. Well, Let's start with what I haven't broken. <laughs> yeah. And she says, okay, well, we're trying to focus on, you know, um, where there might be injuries. I <laughs> go, torn both to rotator cuffs, uh, destroyed both knees, you know, tore my Achilles tendons, broke my jaw, cracked my skull, broke my, Every I forgot finger. to tell her, I broke my neck, everything. So I could see my life as a life of misery, a life of tragedy, a life of tragic events. I mean, I broke my neck when I was 19 years old, hit head on by a car. And in the story I tell is a story of crawling out of that hospital. You know, it's not the story of breaking my neck and getting hit by the car. And it, it really is how you understand your story. You know, my life could be a life of bad luck or a life of good luck. You know, it could be bad luck because I never knew my father. It could be good luck because Bill McManus you know, became like my surrogate dad. It could be bad luck because he was involved in, in a very, very shady world and disappeared. Or it could be good luck because someone else came to my life. Like, you know, you can look at your life and you have to decide which side of, quote, luck is your story. And, um, and my life is just filled with serendipity. So um, I'm going to tell you this is funny. I, your mom does not like movies. Can't ever get to go get her to go see movies. She likes but movies, she, Dad. She doesn't like the movies you like. It's more specific. It's more targeted. <laughs> she, in fact, <laughs> hates those movies. 
And when we get excited about it, it's worse. Yes. She's so like, she wanted I to go see. She wanted to see Mission Impossible. And I'm going, okay. She also liked Why? Top Gun. So I'm wondering if she likes Tom Cruise and not movies, but I don't know. She <laughs> does. Because, she does. You know, Tom, you know, Top Gun, what, what's, yeah, what's connecting? Them. Mission Impossible. And so she goes, I'll go see Mission Impossible with you. So he goes to Mission Impossible. We can't even get seats. We're in the very front looking up. I was, I was inside you know, of the movie. And as we're coming out, I see one of my great friends, Lewis Howes, and his uh, you know, fiance or girlfriend, Marta. And, um, and then right with him is Jay Shetty and his wife. And, you know, oh, cool. I, one of the things I thought, oh, I'd love to meet Jay. He just seems like such a great human being. And Kim and I walk and move through, and there they are. You can call that luck. You can call that whatever you want. I consider it like serendipity. Like it's almost like um, I, I had already decided one day I just I just wanted to meet Jay and say hello. And I think he's a beautiful human being. I love what he shares on on social media. Yeah, I think his book is beautiful. In fact, I used his cover beautiful. to send it to my publisher saying, do something as interesting as this. <laughs> you know, know. Rules of Love is beautiful. And, I know. And, and, and then suddenly it happens. And, and I, I have that in my life constantly and you know austin you get to do life with us you you know you see the disproportionate amount of quote luck i have in my life and uh, i love it and i think i would well, the reason i'm sharing this is i want other people to experience this and the part of the way you experience this is one you make relationships your highest value and when you make relationships your highest value your luck goes up and, uh, you know, it just, you know, that roulette wheel hits red every single time when you call it or black every time you call it. Uh, because when you make people your highest value, everything begins to elevate. When you make the right choices, the moment you know they're right, rather than hesitating because of fear or apprehension or trying to mitigate the outcomes or worrying about what other people say, the moment you decide to have a personal internal compass where you simply do the right thing at, 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 the, at the right moment, because the right moment is the moment you know it's the right thing, it's amazing how life begins to move in your favor. Like there are certain things I've done in my life that uh, have made me the luckiest man alive. And uh, it's it's using, we talked about this in previous, you know, mind shift about, you know, using fear to your advantage. You know, realizing that fear is essentially your subconscious mind telling you that you are not capable of living the life you're created to live. And the moment you begin to realize that uh, fear is a liar and it will steal from you your best self, your best life, man, now you, it's, it's like you, you begin to pull everything in your direction. It's like you become so lucky. And, uh, you know, when I play in sports or, and when I was young, my brother had a club called the Lucky Irwin Club because they felt like I would win in pool and win in sports when I was less talented than everyone else. And I, and I had to live with the, with the uh, humiliation of the Lucky Irwin Club. And so every time I won, they would go, there it is again, the Lucky Irwin Club. And you know what it was? Is that when things came down to it, when the game was on the line, and they needed to win more than anything. I just needed to risk. For me, the win was the risk at the end. For them, the risk could steal them the win. And suddenly, 
I would get the win because other people choked. <laughs> I would get the win because other people were so afraid to lose. And I expected to lose. So I wasn't afraid to lose. And lose that lack of fear of losing, it opened up the whole world to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So the Lucky Irwin Club has existed for over 60 years. That's amazing. <laughs> okay. We've been going for a minute. All right. And I want to talk about a couple of things that we're doing because I think it's really important. We have this conference that's coming up in October. Austin, you have the dates for that? It's October 6th and 7th. Yes. Um, excuse me, Austin. Uh, October Austin 6th and 7th. October 6th and 7th. Can you tell us who's speaking, Dad? This is a little bit different. It's not a Mosaic yeah. conference. This isn't – can you just lay it out? Yeah. And we're going to do a Mosaic conference in January. Yes, 2024. And that's going to that's be like our, our church conference, and it's going to be really beautiful. And one, we'll get you more information on that as we get closer. In October, I'm going to do a business conference, and it's going to be built – uh, on all the people who support the launch of my next book, MindShift. And and so you can't buy a registration for the conference. You have to buy a certain number of books to be invited to the conference. And that will be your registration. And Austin, all that's on our website, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and since some people are listening on audio, Austin, when you nod... They don't know yeah, what you, you got to use. Your, you got to use your voice, Austin. You got to say it with your yes, sir. Your it's on ernmcmanus.com. There yeah. we go. Yeah, yeah. The plug. Yeah. One, the one of the secrets of radio is to actually make sounds. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> so, can you walk us through who's speaking? All right, we've been so incredibly lucky to get these people because I just give went us to names. My, I went to my friends and said, "Would you speak at this conference?" That we're going to do for all the people who are supporting and buying and getting the word out for MindShift. So yes, October 6th and 7th, Friday and Saturday, I have Lewis Howes coming to speak. I have Amazing. John Gordon coming to speak. I have Jamie Kern-Lima coming to speak. And and if you know any of them, uh, you know, Lewis Howes has the School of Greatness. And um, it, John Gordon has written like 24 bestsellers. And, and uh, his newest book is called The One Truth. He speaks to... You know, NBA, NFL, all the major Every sports teams. Team. Jamie Kern Lima started a company with her husband, Paolo, uh, It Cosmetics, and sold it for $1.2 billion. And uh, she came out with a book last uh, year or so called Believe It, and she's extraordinary. And then I have some new friends that are also coming. Jim Quick, who's considered probably the uh, foremost expert on the brain and brain optimization. Uh, he's going to be coming. In fact, he came and said I, he moved his schedule so he could come and speak at our event. He has a we great have, book called Limitless. Oh, Limitless. You got to pick up Limitless. And uh, and he is just so incredibly insightful. Uh, um, due to an injury, had a massive uh, brain um, liability and becomes the expert on the human brain. Uh, we have Todd Herman coming, who wrote a book called The Alter Ego Effect, who uh, works with people like... Uh, uh, Rafa Nadal and uh, Ronaldo oh, and, Kobe, and Kobe Bryant and Kobe Bryant. He worked with he Kobe created, and helped. He created the Black Mamba. Yeah, he created the 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 alter ego of the Black Mamba. And we also have um, uh, Phil M. Jones, who is British, by the way. So we get get to hear that great accent. Who wrote a book called Exactly What to Say, and uh, he really is a language expert. And it's going to be pretty, I think, extraordinary. Um, 
I'll be speaking at the conference, and and so you know, hopefully, I can add some value too. And I'm hosting this thing, whether you like yeah. it or not. <laughs> I'm hosting yeah. it, and this is exciting because really, it's it's kind of our 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 mind shift communicators conference. Are we going to tell them about the new project, about what art of communication is turning into? Uh, I think we did in the last mind shift. Did we not no, do it, Austin? No. Oh our, my goodness! Okay, me and you were supposed to make a video before I left LA, and we forgot. Well, we may not have so forgot. We, got, <laughs> we we may have run out of time. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Was, okay, so yeah, all right. Uh, <laughs> let's cue this up. On August second, we are basically expanding the art of communication. We are launching something radically, beautifully, powerfully new that has come out of the art of communication. Because when we did the art of communication, the content we felt was, uh, and we know it was world-class, but then I did 10 weeks of live Q&A without anyone knowing we were going to do that. That was just the value added because we always want to over-deliver, do far more than we ever promised, commit. Um, and those 10 weeks were so valuable, so powerful that that content ended up getting posted with the art of communication. And then we added the seven frequencies of communication. And then we knew that a part of what our value system is, is to create great communicators, you also create great thinkers because you really cannot become a better communicator if you do not become a better thinker. So we were going, okay, wait a minute, are we going to create the art of communication and then the art of thinking and the art of creativity and then the art of leadership? And we have so many different um, avenues of learning. So we decided let's create a learning community where we focus on communication and leadership and character. And on top of that, where we create a place <clears throat> where we go talk about all the new ideas whether it's in the world of culture or philosophy or theology, you know, we could be talking about how do you create a great organizational culture or how do we come to believe in God? Who knows what we're going to talk about? And I say, you know, kind of like the old Greek pantheon and the uh, Acropolis where uh, the, the great sages and thinkers and judges would come together and, and decide what was right and wrong and true and false. And, and, and then you, Aaron, said, oh, you mean like the arena where the gladiators fought and they fought out and, you know, uh, they, they, they fought to see who was the best. And, and I thought, that's it. It's called the arena. And this is where we all come in as gladiators who think and sharpen our swords and sharpen our skills. And, and if you're committed to becoming a great communicator or an exceptional leader or uh, to be a person of deep character, the arena is for you. And everything new that we create is going to go into the arena. Every new thought I have is going to go into the arena. Everything we innovate is going to go into the arena. And if you want to journey with us into this space, then you need to step into the arena with us. And I think it's a really special, unique thing because one, there is nothing like this that exists in the, in the world. Like, no, there is nothing like this. There's nothing. This is so unique. You could on one level say, this is a gym, an online gym, 
except for we're doing this conference once a year in LA and maybe in different cities around the world, but in LA to start. And this is a, a place where you can come and refine your skills. And we had done this thing when we did Art of Communication. The last one, we created the arena where I was pulling off quotes and videos, me and Austin, and dropping them onto this Zoom and watching people communicate. I was finding them on YouTube. People were submitting them and it was people part of the community. And then you would rip them to shreds for the next five minutes, two minutes, 10 minutes. And it got to the point where the guys who were the most experienced, not all of them had, had submitted videos. So I'm in the Zoom going, hey, by the way, in 30 seconds, we're dropping a three minute clip from your message last week or your, your, your presentation or something that we found on YouTube from 10 years ago or two years ago. And we're gonna we're gonna have uh, we're throwing it into the arena. So it was kind of just this this place that had already existed that we wanted to make the core of our community a place where you can come together and battle ideas and gain uh, self mastery over your skills. And really, the other side of this is we have built a really amazing business consulting, and you bring really high level content to really really phenomenal top level, high performance individuals. And this is our place of making this, that kind of content accessible for a much cheaper price. Yeah. It's interesting because I just did an interview with a journalist from the New Yorker magazine, and he's doing a story on people in these, in, in this um, business communication, personal development space, all the, uh, the really the emergence of speakers like Gary V and Alex Ormosi and, um, you know, uh, Ed Milads and Lewis House and all these guys and, and my, yeah. myself in this space as well. So someone gave him my name um, and as one of the oh, – I hate when you tell stories like this. Someone else got asked by this reporter who's the best and they said, Earl McManus. Okay. Here's his so, info. And they were being interviewed as one of the best. Yeah. And they asked him and he said you. All right. Say so, it. Say it. All right. No, so no, anyway, no, no, no. so, no, 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 so no, no, he's, no, no. he's interviewing me. And hey, mind shift. Shift your mind. <laughs> Let me Just get to the point. It. So he's asking me about what we do. And I said, look, you know, I coach people one-on-one and that's a, a six-figure relationship, you know, and, and then we have a mastermind for, you know, business individuals. And that's right now at 30,000 a year. And then I said, and then our, our community, the arena is going to be about $350 a month. And he paused and he said, huh. And he said, are you concerned about charging so little and, um, and lowering your value? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, most of the people I've spoke to told me that if, when, you, when you charge too little, you actually begin to diminish your value and people don't take it as seriously and don't put as much work into it. And, uh, and that you have to actually charge at a premium level to get the kind of outcomes that um, you're working for. He goes, do you feel like the arena, because he thought $350 a month was just way too expensive for this. And he said, do you feel like you're going to hurt your value? And I said, no, this is the way I think about things. Uh, there was a time in my life where $35 a month felt like it was too much. And there was a time in my life at $350 a month, it was really a sacrifice. Yeah. And, and there was a time where $3,500 a month you know, was, was tough. And, and I know people were $30,000 dollars a month would even be hard and people are at different places and i said i wanted to create the arena because i don't want to just help people who are so far on the other side of this journey that it takes six figures for it to even 
put a small dent in their budget. There are a lot of people right now where $3,500, $4,500 a year, that's a genuine sacrifice. And the key yeah. isn't the amount, it's the sacrifice that that person is making in investing in themselves, because then you get the level of commitment and intention. And, and I think the, the arena creates that, because I wish everyone could be in my $30,000 mastermind. I mean, that, that's who I am as a person. I, I wish the whole world could access that, that experience, that dynamic, that learning. And, but I also know that, that not everyone is ready for it. And, and I look at everything we do at Mosaic, we give everything from Mosaic away. And so, you know, we're, we're, I, I'm teaching the world every week for free and giving away content. And hopefully people are taking it on, their lives are being changed. And, and, and doing that for free allows me then to go, okay, now I also need to create these other rooms for people who want to go past the free. They're saying, yeah, we're more intense. We have a deep commitment. Um, we have urgency in our life and, and we're ready to invest in ourselves because that money isn't an investment in me. That money is an investment in themselves and their future. And for a lot of these guys, I mean, they're making huge decisions. Some of them are making multi-million, multi-billion dollar kind of decisions. They can't afford to not think at this level. They cannot yeah. afford not to be in this kind of group. And, and I feel you like talk arena about, is a space now. You talk about lucky, right? We are incredibly lucky, blessed in the right place at the right time. We have incredible people around us, a part of this mastermind, a part of with your business guys, a part of uh, your one-on-one -on -one coaching that we've built, a part of the art of communication. Like the, we have an amazing network of individuals who have genuinely taken the time in their life to go and be the greatest at what they do. And even the art of calm, I'm so amazed at the people that, and the relationships I've made through the art of calm. I keep up with people still to this day, one year later, people we did 10 weeks of life with. We're still texting, we're still DMing, we're still connecting, we're still meeting up in different countries because of what of their commitment to, to the craft. And this is such a niche thing going, I, I'm committed to communication, I'm committed to learning and growing and building. Mm -hmm. And to think that we get to now sit in a room, I think, the, I think Art of Calm, this new version, because when you join the arena, you get the Art of Calm, you get the seven frequencies, you get a yeah. new thing that's going to come out called the character matrix that you taught on for six hours in, in your mastermind that you charge, mm -hmm. we charge $30,000, $40,000 per person at. And we're going to give this to the community, to the arena and this information. And I look at it and I go, man, if it wasn't this valuable a year ago, it's 10 times more valuable now. Our yeah. exposure is more valuable. Our case studies are more valuable. The real life experience is more valuable. I'm sitting there with, with someone today and I was like, oh, I can actually pull from this situation, this situation. I have a, a Rolodex of, of relationships now of people who are 5, 10, 15, 20 years older who have been there and gone there. And I, one of the guys I run with who I love, he'll tell me about the issues he's dealing with in business in a lawsuit situation. I'm going, yeah, this is so small. This was actually this other guy's legal fees in one month. Like your whole year's problems, this guy solved and had 500 times. And, then, and not, that it, not that one problem is more important than the other, but the reality is that when you see someone else further along down the road, you go, oh, I can do this. Oh, I can make this happen. Oh, this is actually something that I can achieve by following his path. 
And these kind of communities give you so much access to relationships and individuals that will continue to sharpen your skills, your skills and your network. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. The value of this community of the arena is who is going to be in the arena with you. And, you know, for years, I, I, I probably went to maybe 20 different TED conferences and, and, you know, part of the value is what's on the stage, but the biggest value who's in the chair next to you and who you're interacting with and who you meet, who you begin having conversations with. It's the, it's the conversations before and after that change your life. And that was worth the money. And so when people go, you know, is this worth the investment? Oh my gosh, I was, I mean, it cost $16,000 to $20,000 to be a member of TED. And, and I couldn't afford that back then. And I just did it anyway, because I couldn't afford not to be in that community. And I needed to be in the room with the leading thinkers in the world. I need to be in the room with the innovators, the entrepreneurs, the creators, because if I'm going to help the people that I am absolutely called to help, I need to have all that data. I need to have access to all that learning. And so I'm at TED, not for me. I'm at TED for all the people who cannot go to TED so that I can yeah. assimilate that, integrate it, and begin to, uh, to bring the critical aspects of my learning uh, to others. And the arena is that kind of space. People are going to be bringing their insights, bringing their learning, bringing their experiences together. And it's going to be so exciting. Yeah. And I think it's, it's one of those things where it's like, you have to remind yourself that you are worth the investment. And so I'm excited as we're building this, as we're, as we're developing and as we launch it August 2nd, it's very cool to me that we get to talk about this for the first time while I'm in London and, and you're in, L or I guess you're in Salt Lake and Austin's in LA and just we're all over the world. And I think it's very represent representative of the work that we do. I was talking with my good friend here and he was like, he's like, his girlfriend goes, what are you doing here? I was like, I said, hunting lions. <laughs> she's like, you're weird. And I was like, I know. And she's like, what do you do? And I was like, well, I work from anywhere. I can work from anywhere. We have a community all over the world and, and essentially everything that we do, living life builds what we're doing. And, and I think it's a remarkable thing. And I feel very lucky to be able to do that and to live life with you guys. Obviously, I miss my community. I miss my friends. I miss my, you know, my house and my car and the things, but, um, and my niece. But I, I, uh, I'm grateful for this journey. So I'm, thank you. I'm thankful, guys. I feel lucky. Well, the next time somebody asks you, what do we do? Say, we help people who refuse to say the same get better. Oof. Yeah, I'm not going to say that. I don't say it with the same gravitas that you say. <laughs> I usually say I'm a consultant and they go like, well, who do you consult? And then I just list the people that we consult and then they usually just don't ask again. And you're like, oh, <laughs> oh like you're like a real one. And I'm like, yeah. And like, but you don't like dress like one. And I'm like, yeah, like you have tattoos. Yeah. But do you, okay. And they just stop asking. And it's good. It's good. But, but I would say this, I, I love this. I love the wild west that we're in right now. Like we've never been here before and it's cool and it's different. And it's, it's, um, I think I had to go to London cause I was so anxious li living in LA, like thinking about all these projects that we're working and building and the whole thing. And I'm like, I gotta get out of here, man. I gotta go and, and see some new things and just remember that like, don't let yourself get anxious. Don't let yourself get stressed. Just keep building, keep going to the future. And then Noma happens. And then these things happen and then new friends happen. And then it's like, okay, the world is starting to open up because that's what the world does. The world is not yeah. meant for us to be closed. The universe doesn't want to, to, to hold, withhold from us. God doesn't, isn't keeping us from the next thing that's going to make us great. It's right in front of us. And will we choose to accept it? I'm excited. Um, I, I, uh, we, uh, 
yes, it created a moniker for the new company called the Future of Compassion. It's going to oh, be love it. an extraordinary organization. Uh, it's going to help so many uh, families, so many people. I just love to get the opportunity to do good. And, it, you know, and I'll just say this. I'm, I'm in this boardroom and I'm telling you about your mom. and I'm telling you about building this school in Malawi for a million dollars and helping young girls in Bangladesh and developing women leaders in India and just everything she does. And even the homeless guy that we picked up two days ago while we're getting food at five guys. And, and, um, and one of the board members goes, Oh, wait a minute. We need to increase your, your wealth. And he goes, yeah. and he starts doing numbers really fast on how they can increase. He goes, we need to increase your wealth. You are one of the people in the world where if we increase your wealth, more good's going to happen. I did. I had, I had this unique conversation with someone because they were like, you know, what did they say? Someone said something. They were like, you know, you really, you talk, you're thinking a lot about money. Like you're talking too much about money. And I said, I learned something. I went to Shabbat <laughs> with some Jewish friends and I was like, they talk about money in a way, in the same way that we talk about helping people. And I was like, but it makes sense. We help a lot of people. I'm sure they do too. That's not exclusive or, you know, but I was like, but what they do is they make investment so normal. They make business so normal, money so casual that they're thinking and putting their children, because they're sitting at the table as well, in a headspace that goes, oh, it's natural for me to know how to make money, to know how to invest properly, to know how to build wealth. And I, I looked at someone in, in London and I said, I said you're going to have to deal with this because you're meant to be really wealthy. And he was like, well, what do you mean? You know, he's worked in ministry for a long time and he's a wonderful human. He's one of my best friends. And I said, because you're meant to change the world and you can't do it without a little bit of money. If you are a good person, you care about people, it is a part of your stewardship to the world to go and be very successful and be very generous. And someone asked, they're like, what do you think you're going to do in five years? I was like, I don't know, but I know what I'm going to do in two. And I know the internal goals that we have made. And I know we're trying to build you know, multi, multi, tens and tens of millions of dollars size business. And we're going to do it. And we've already hit the first goal and we're going to hit the next one. We're going to keep building. And I, and I think because it is this, whether God wants it for us or not, I think he does. I think he does. I think it's for the people who go and do it, for the people who hunt the lions, for the people who make the effort and put into the work. And I think, uh, especially Christians, because there's a lot of Christians that listen to this podcast, it's it's time to change that, right? Yeah, I you think one of the sad things is that is that God always wants more for you than people want for you. This is it's right. it. It's done. Episode four. We did it. Okay.